Three Brothers, One Mike is a weekly podcast put together to help motivate and inspire our listeners both mentally and physically in the hopes of helping you be the best you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Two Brothers, One Mike. I'm Joe and as always, my brother Tony is here. I'm here again. How you doing, Joe? How's everybody doing out there in Two Brothers, One Mike land? Joe, Oh, they're talking over each other already. Go That's ahead. okay. Go uh, yeah, they, they, I got to tell you something. Go I ahead. started that experiment. The, which, uh, which one? The non-dominant non hand eating for slower eating. Yes. Yeah, it, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I'll tell you why. Um, it, it doesn't go well with pizza. I could eat pizza with my left or my uh, right hand just as quick. I, I, I think they really meant for only, like, food that you use utensils with yeah definitely uh especially yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't want to try with pizza pizza everybody's universally uh, and everybody can go either hand on eating pizza that, that's, that's I, i'm like uh, a yeah I, I i a lot of times i'll have i mean i could go double fisted on pizza it yeah yeah, yeah right, right. Yeah. So, but no, seriously, uh, I did do it with, you know, with, uh, uh, some of my other foods that actually require utensils. Yeah, of course it, it works. You know, it slows it down, makes digestion a lot easier. It's just one uh, thing. Get hungrier quicker. Yeah. It's just something. One to tool in a, in a toolbox full of tools on things to try. That's all. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was pretty cool, but I know that you have a story for us. Uh, I always something have a story. That Something I'd read on on your Facebook timeline here about Mr. Jim Rice. A lot of people may not know who he is, but uh, Tony's going to explain all about it. So yes. go ahead, Steve. So, you know, this is something we always do in the beginning of our shows, talk about something other than what we're going to talk about in detail throughout the show. And uh, I did post this on my personal page, uh, my Facebook page. It was a story about Jim Rice. Anybody uh, from uh, our era and before our era, uh, Mr. Jim Rice is an eight-time All-Star 2009 inductee, <clears throat> as my voice leaves, 2009 inductee into Cooperstown, into the Baseball Hall of Fame, was a fantastic player. A fantastic player in his time in the uh, in the 70s, into the 80s. Um played for the Boston Red Sox. And I don't know if that's where his entire career was at or not. I honestly don't know that. But um, what I do know is that not only does this man have close to 400 home runs in his career and close to 2,500 hits and a plethora, one of my favorite words in the English language, a plethora of, <laughs> of RBIs, uh, which uh, gives him every right to be in that, uh, in that hall in, in Cooperstown. Uh, but he is also not only a fantastic baseball player, but a fantastic human. John, John C. Maxwell, a famous author and pastor, said it best, motivational speaker. He said, talent is a gift, but character is a choice. And that fit this story perfectly. I had forgotten all about this. I was 12 years old when this happened. And I forgot about this until I saw somebody post this story. And then I shared it, like I said, on my Facebook page yeah. in... August, I believe it was August 7th of 1982, uh, Boston Red Sox were in the middle of a game, and Mr. Rice was in the dugout at this time. His team was at bat, and one of his teammates were at the plate. The name of the gentleman at the plate escapes me. Uh, somebody mm -hmm. did mention it on my page, who it was, and I cannot remember the name now. But nonetheless, not the point. Anybody who's ever been to a Major League Baseball game, you will know this. If you are standing or sitting down the file lines, whether it's first base or third base, and one of these professional baseball players gets a hold of a ball a little late 
or a little mm-hmm. early and drives that ball in your direction, it's coming at you every bit of 100 miles per hour and then some. And uh, actually, Major League Baseball is definitely, at this point, it's already happened several times, I believe, last year. And they're looking for it to happen even more times this year uh, and why they're going to put netting up uh, even further down the lines to avoid these situations anymore. Uh, There was the gentleman who was at the plate, hit a ball down the first baseline uh, over 105 miles per hour, and it hit a four-year-old boy right in the face. Now, you know, immediately this young man went down uh, and the father Mm -hmm. seen him hit the ground and chaos ensued. And I think one of the biggest concerns immediately is how do we get EMTs down to this kid through this crowd Mm -hmm. as quick as possible? Because time is of the essence here, right? Jim Rice in the dugout of the of the Boston Red Sox came running out of the dugout, jumped into the stands Without, I mean, without any hesitation whatsoever, grab the little boy, knowing that this could be a problem with getting EMTs to where this boy is at, and ran him onto the field and into the clubhouse of the Boston Red Sox, where their where their medical staff is always at. Obviously, usually to attend to baseball players, and these people began working on this little boy immediately. If you see the pictures, very graphic. Yeah. Uh, when he's running with the little boy, literally the entire, I believe, left side or right side of his face is bloody oh. and, and obviously pain and anguish. It's very, you know, it's 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 very hard to look at. And mm-hmm. Mr. Rice is running with him into the into the clubhouse and the staff takes care of him. And within 30 minutes, he was at the Boston Medical Center where they immediately went into emergency surgery with him. And as doctors would put it and as this little boy's father would put it in an interview later on, uh, Jim Rice uh, saved his life. Now, uh, not only did that happen, but from what I understand, from what I understand from other people, okay. And a story, mm-hmm. the way the story goes, he did go visit this little boy. I believe the very next day or within the next couple of days after the game, as the little boy was recovering from his surgery. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what happened was Mr. Rice started to get, from the conversations he was having with the family, that there may be possibly a little problem with the medical bills. Uh, I don't know if it was the way, you know, the type of insurance coverage they had. I don't know what the, what the underlying, you know, reasons were behind why they may be having a problem with paying these particular medical bills, which I'm sure were extensive. Mm -hmm. He then either went to the front offices of the Boston Red Sox or to the hospital administration or to a, 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 maybe a little bit of both sat down with whoever he needed to sit down with and said that all bills were to come to him. He paid for the entire procedure that this little boy had to have in order for him to recover fully. Now, again, again, talent is a gift, which he was extremely talented as a professional baseball player, but character is a choice. And that right there was a fantastic story when it comes to being the best Jew, if you ask me. Oh, definitely. And, you know, when I, after I read your post, um, you know, I, I knew that you were going to be bringing this up, of course. So I yes. did a little extra, little extra research on it, too, right. just some other some other things. Uh, the gentleman that hit the ball, um, he his name was it was uh, David Stapleton. David Stapleton, that's uh, it. Yeah, yes. and I, I think he he's a lefty, and he went up against a right-handed pitcher, something to that effect. My 
No, I believe that was the way it was. And so then, of course, it resulted in in this uh, uh, foul ball. Incidentally, uh, Jonathan Keene, the young man who was hit. That was his name, yes. His name. He was four years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now 30, 33. Okay. Um, you know, his two-year-old little brother was there too. So so he was very lucky. I, I, you know, who knows how much worse it could have been with just that two years difference mm-hmm. if his little brother had been hit. So, you know, you don't want to say thank God the four-year-old got hit, but – Thank goodness the two-year-old did not. Well, you know um, what? You know, real quick, a two-year-old sure. girl just got hit in the face at Yankee Stadium. I think it was either hmm. in the preseason or last year. So, hmm. you know, it, it's it's been, you know, quite a quite a, a serious situation that they have to uh, take care of immediately. But oh, go ahead. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so um, here at the age of five, uh, he was invited back to Fenway, and he got to throw out the first pitch. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, but now 33 says he doesn't remember the day, you know, that he was hit. But obviously, has nothing but great things to say about Mr. Rice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, definitely a good pick for this week as far as stories go. Uh, you know, they say not all heroes wear capes. Usually we're talking law enforcement for that. Yeah, okay, even firemen, if you will. But uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sorry, brothers in red, but I'm, I, I believe blue and, you know, the rival is red. <laughs> so uh, that's the way that goes. But uh, in any case, all right. So um, I love I them all. Gonna, I love all you guys. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick. Uh, I'm going to take. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to start to talk about my journey through perhaps the most chaotic two years of my life, dealing with fear and anxiety. So more on that when we're back. Okay, so this week we're going to be hitting very close to home here on Two Brothers, One Mike. I knew this episode would be eventual ever since Tony and I started to come up with topics for our shows. And so I've had a lot of what you're about to hear in the back of my mind for months now. In our introductory show, I explained that I've uh, been dealing with anxiety for years now, most of which I didn't know anxiety was even the issue. I always had something to bury my worries in, whether it be work, alcohol, and yes, even nicotine. These were all Band-Aids. I applied them more and more over the years until life came to a screeching halt in the beginning of last summer in the uptick of a worldwide pandemic. But before I start talking about the beginning of the end, let me go back just two years prior to show you how how I looked and um, how I dealt with life for the past 20 years, just to give a little context. Something to compare the now with and to absolutely convince you that, yeah, he was certainly headed down the wrong path. Now, I've always been told that I have anxiety. I never believed it because I was just being me. I mean, what does anxiety feel like? Well, to me, it felt like I needed another cigarette, maybe another glass of wine, or maybe just a ton of sugary, fattening foods. I always equated that knot in my stomach with the need of whatever Band-Aid I was due for applying. I never realized the Band-Aids were just preventing the actual issues, the true reasons for worry from breaking through the dam. Now, I know... Some people hear the phrase anxiety attack, and it's looked upon as some sort of weakness, something easy to to criticize. There were people in my life who could never grasp the idea behind what it feels like to live in such great fear and in turn felt I needed to just get over it, just put it out of my mind. Well, this show isn't about them, though. This one is for those of you who maybe have a hard time explaining how you feel between those breaths you can hardly take because, oh, my God, what if? So can I can I just can I just say something here real quick? Sure. Yeah. It, it, the the part where you say you know uh, about those people, right? Mm-hmm. I I was one of those people in the beginning of this with you. 
um, when before, before really before the text messaging, mm -hmm. it was more when we would talk about this. Uh, and this was more than two years ago. And, and that, you know, you would say something and I would think to myself, he's okay. You just get over it. I, I remember mm -hmm. doing that. And that's well, what sure. people will do. That's what people sure. will do. Listen, I suffered from medical anxiety. Okay, so what does that mean? First, let's talk about how it feels to have an anxiety-based panic attack. Ever have a feeling there's something you're supposed to do and it's just creating this knot in your stomach because you know it's important, but damn, what was it? Anxiety is that is that exact feeling right there. The feeling before you figure out what it was that you were supposed to do all the time. In time, it becomes fear because rationale starts kicking in. And in your mind, you're saying, you know, nothing is wrong. So why do you feel this way? Please know this. If you know someone who deals with anxiety, we know we're not handling things right. We just don't know how to break this vicious cycle. And what cycle? Well, what do we do when we are in a state of fear? Our heart starts pumping faster. Breathing becomes shallow, but guess what? You don't realize you're doing this because you're still trying to figure out what's wrong, but you can't figure out what's wrong because nothing is wrong, but you still feel like there is. And around and around we go. Hmm. That's anxiety. Yeah. And if left to its own devices, this is the cycle that turns into a full-on panic attack. Now, medical anxiety is just what it sounds like. Have a pain? Cancer. Pimple? Cancer. Toothache? definitely oral cancer. What's worse is there's actually something happening that you can point to that's causing you pain. But when you're told it's nothing by a medical professional, this scenario starts to play out. What if? What if he's wrong? What if he missed something? Mm. You always hear about how something was missed and it's never a good thing. And I'm young. I have two kids. It would be tragic if I were sick and they missed something. And what if now, I know it sounds like the rambling of a crazy man. And in a sense, it is. Because at this point, these thoughts have no basis. So next, we try to find one. Where? Well, Google. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> you know? Ask Google. Hey, Google's <laughs> Google. got it. Yeah. No, no. Google is a bad place. Again, you could have a gray hair. Look it up and you have hair follicle cancer. Uh, Google is the last place you should ever Sebast look for medical. <laughs> medical Sebastian Maniscalco does a great skit, the comedian. Sure. Sure. On, on when he had numbness in his hands and he went to yeah. Google and that's the worst thing you should do because the yeah. first thing he saw was the guy said they had to cut his hands off. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we get to why that, that advice is usually not that great to go off. Yeah. It's, just, it's, a, it's a good perspective. For those that are listening to this and you're thinking, you know, it, you may even know, again, that that's not a good place. But, no. But I get to why that is. Mm. So – also, during this time, for two years, when this was my life, I slept in less than five hours a night. Mm. Actually, this became a new obsession because I realized that the lack of sleep meant bigger anxiety attacks. So I would have anxiety over my sleep, which would then cause me, cause me to keep staying up. In time, I started to have anxiety over my anxiety. Yeah. I literally would get the sleep app. Um, to see how many hours I was sleeping a night. Oh, a whole other thing for me to become obsessed, uh, obsessed with. And over time, uh, after, you know, the completion of everything, as I wrap this up at the end of it, uh, this time period that I'm covering, uh, I, I trashed every app I ever had that, that showed me. It's just one other thing that we don't need to be so right. obsessive about. So, mm. but I worked out 
but would constantly get a feeling of like gloom and doom. What's the point? Why bother? They're just going to put me back on cholesterol medication. I don't know why, <laughs> but mm-hmm. somehow I believe being put on medication was like the end of the world. Yeah. And I, th- I, I think it was just that I felt if it were my diet that was causing issues, I should be able to control that. If I couldn't, it meant I was some sort of failure. Well, you, you know what? Yeah, because when we when we end up on a medication for mm-hmm. especially for specific situations such as this, sure, we 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 look around and we feel like people are looking at us like exactly like we have failed at being able to take on our own problems, mm-hmm. and, and and we're we are weak in that in that sense by nature, and and so that is that just compounds the problem. Is what it, it does. Certainly does. Yeah. And, and it's crazy too, because a lot of the stuff that, that I'm talking about, you know, it's almost faux pas. People say, well, you shouldn't talk about mental issues. Like I, I know there's a big, you know, a big hashtag out there that, you know, these are, are real issues. Yeah. Uh, if I had a broken leg, you'd want to hear how I broke it. You'd want to hear about my therapy. You'd want to hear about how I got strong again. Mm-hmm. Well, why is it if I have a broken brain or a broken mind or a broken mindset, mm-hmm. why is that all of a sudden some indication of weakness? These yeah. things can break too. And it's important that people understand that it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, maybe not uh, on the platform that I am, uh, it, it, not to say that that's wrong. Maybe you're not comfortable with it, but you know what? <laughs> then talk to somebody who is a professional can deal with these kinds of things. Um, talk to someone is, is really what the point is. But, um, you know, as I said, we it, we know the way we're thinking is wrong, mm-hmm. right? But I started to realize that the more I went back to the doctor, dentist, chiropractor, usually in that order again and again, they would confirm I was fine and to relax. And I would for like the next few days, I'd be fine. But then what if Mm. it was like I formed a bad habit of making myself feel worried and getting my fix by having a doctor in any capacity telling me I'm fine. So, you know, if you think about that, I would sit there and get myself into this into this over worried state sick where I can't breathe. And I and and I would purposely I was like becoming a thing where. My fix was the doctor telling me that I'm fine. Yeah. That 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 became like a routine, like a bad habit. You know, uh, just to feel that sense of freedom, that sense of if that makes any sense. Yeah. It you does. Know? It does. It let me can, let me say this real quick also. Sure. Uh and interrupt you as quickly as possible. Uh before I forget, mm-hmm. uh, as my mind starts going in 50 directions, as you are, as you're talking about this, you just mentioned about, you know, maybe people aren't going to use the same platform that you're using, but, mm-hmm. but keep this in mind too. People have to, uh, use a platform like you're using. Some people have to do that to let other people know you're not right. alone in this. Right. Exactly. There's, exactly there's, my, there, my point. you know, and hopefully there's thousands, you know what I mean? Of sure, our listeners sure. that at some point that, that are listening to this and saying, I'm not alone here. This, yeah. this is the same thing happening to this guy right here. Who's on this podcast. All right. So, yeah. so it, it is necessary for some people to step forward or nobody would ever know. Yeah. And, and here's the thing too, right now, this whole thing was going on for like two years. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I'm talking about here today. Um, I was given prescriptions for different anxiety meds that either weighed me way worse or, uh, you know, only lasted, and I'll describe it this way. They only lasted about four hours and were bound to turn me into a full, full-fledged addict mm-hmm. uh, if I kept taking them. So I did away with those, um, you know, but last June, last June, I wake up and I remember this day 
distinctly. It was just the oddest thing. Mm-hmm. I'm looking out my bedroom window and my eye starts to twitch. Uh-huh. It was not, not a big deal. It was just this little twitch I had going on. Thought maybe I had something in my eye. I've never had this happen before. And it's like, come on, man, you freaked out over a twitch. No, no, but it didn't stop. I noticed it wasn't stopping and it went on all day long, just kept twitching. And I'm like, what is going on with my eye? There's nothing in it. And, you know, um, so given what my, my line of thinking already, you know, how it starts to go in time, again, need I say more, uh, I make my doctor appointment Mm -hmm. and he says, Joe, it's, it's nerves. Uh, And, and for me, I'm like, okay, because I'm fine then. Right. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. You know, mm. uh, so over the next two weeks, I start to notice these other things are going on. All of a sudden, muscles all over my body are jumping. And I don't mean typical twitching. Like, we all get that little twinge in our arm or in our leg. You just feel like your muscles jump a little bit and it goes away. And you don't think about it. It probably doesn't happen for weeks again. Mm. My calves look like fireworks were going off on them, in them, um, just all day, all mm. day long. It just wouldn't stop mm-hmm. my, my quads, my triceps, my shoulders, my, my fingers, my, both, both eyes started doing it. I'm like, wow, I look like, an, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> this Somebody's is putting electric shock through you. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and here's the interesting thing about it. All right. So let me, let me, let me, uh, I have my theory on this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, eventually it would stop with like going to sleep. But I'd wake up and it would just start doing it all over again. Um, you know, now I was told a few times by loved ones and medical professionals and especially medical professionals that perhaps it's time to start considering talking to someone, mm-hmm. right? Uh, maybe try some cognitive behavioral therapy. But again, talk to them about what? The anxiety I don't have, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I still was like, I don't know what's going on. I finally broke down and called my doc at this point when everything was jumping and twitching, you know, for another appointment Mm -hmm. uh, and explained that, you know, I told them what was going on in my eyes, going on in these different areas of my body. And if he still thinks that what I'm going through is nerves, um, when we hang up, I'm going straight in and finding the uh, uh, first, you know, um, uh, the first mental health professional, uh-huh. right? Uh, and I'm going to start getting things underway as far as some sort of therapy, this cognitive ther- uh, behavioral therapy that they're talking about right. or, or whatever needs to be done. Um, and he agreed. And that's when I started to see things clear for the first time in like two, two years. years. Yeah. Uh, what was going on? And this is, this is my, my theory. Um, when you're in a constant state of, of fear, Anxiety was put in our bodies for a reason. We have anxiety for a reason. And it's when we sense danger, it's how our body reacts to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. The shallow breathing is there for a reason. The heart pumping more blood is there for a reason. Um, okay, you, you could look these things up. I'm not really going to get into that. But the point is, when you're in this constant state of fear and you're not moving, you're not running, you're not, your body will start to do it for you. The endorphins, the the uh, uh, the neurochemicals that are within your body are firing, and they're telling your nerves and telling your muscles to go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And this is all the twitching and jumping. And, and this now again, my my theory on this, I think it makes a lot of sense when you look into what the difference between fight or flight, um, how that can start to happen. Um, so you know, that's just what I figured was going on. 
But um, I did have some moments of clarity before I started my CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy uh, sessions, uh, before they officially started. I started to research topics on how to deal with anxiety instead of things like muscles jumping nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it wasn't easy because the research was online and I was fully aware of some of the disease of some of the diseases I was going to come across. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're wondering, ALS and MS. So, uh, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I understand understandably so. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and, and, uh, both were confirmed when I mentioned about the eye that neither one is presenting that way. Just stop. Okay. Uh, so obviously a line had to be drawn somewhere. I had to, you know, it's just like, I, I can't go into this looking at that kind of stuff. That's what, put, that's what put me into this place to begin with. Um, so I knew I was, I was going to have to stay very narrow minded if I planned on getting to the root of my anxiety so I can get back to living my life. The first thing I learned was I had to embrace the fact I have anxiety, stop denying. And when I start to go through the level of worrying uh, of a panic attack, Mm -hmm. let it pass. Yeah. Without research, (laughs) without Google, without the what ifs. I wish I could say I just did this in the beginning and got better. It took practice, lots of practice. I went two years forming a horrible pattern of worry and fear. This should sound familiar since we talked about that minimum 21-day rule uh, a few times over the span of our podcast or for shows uh, and when it comes to forming a new habit, whether it be good or bad. What I found to be interesting now, looking back through that 2020 hindsight, is I started to anticipate and became almost a little bit excited when I started to, to find worries because it meant I would have another opportunity to practice embracing and letting go of my fears and worries. I would be able in doing that in embracing those fears and worries, I could shine the light on that proverbial boogeyman and see he's not even real. Mm -hmm. The stuff I was afraid of wasn't even real. And I knew, I knew it. I knew in the back of my brain, it wasn't real. It was making it worse because then why do I feel this way? Again, we, you know, I had already established this pattern, this whole uh, habit is what it became. Um, And so how did I do this? Well, with a simple question, when I started to, to get worried or started to experience anxiety, I would just ask myself, then what? And so that makes sense. I have a pain in my jaw and it's not going away. Okay, then what? I should go to the doctor and see what he thinks. Then what? Well, he says it's nothing and there's no need to worry. Well, then what? I don't know. Worry more? <laughs> no, then what? Nothing. Crickets. It's dead. There's no reason to sit there and keep going down that path. Okay. Uh, now, I may have had to repeat this numerous times before I could get it out of my head. But at the end of the day, that was it. That wasn't the only thing, but that was a major part was just going through that anxiety cycle and asking myself, okay, so then what what would happen next if that were so? And then what? And then, you know, listen, even if it was then what, and it went a bad way, it ends with, and then you die. Well, then what? (laughs) I mean, no matter what, I mean, there's no reason to sit here and put ourselves through the, through these worries when we don't know. I mean, and that's just it. Uh, it, it comes down to, it's like, well, I don't know. Well, once you're there, then that's it. You, you just have to let it go. And that's what takes all the practice. So the next step I found was weighing possibilities versus probabilities. And this one was a little bit tricky because anything and everything is possible. So this path can let basically any idea into your head, good or bad. However, it's the probability that narrows the path. So, for example, it's possible an asteroid might strike my home before I finish the sentence. 
Nope. <laughs> However, it's probably <laughs> not going to happen. There are so many outside influences that have an effect on this as well. We recently talked about allowing fear to make a decision for you in episode five of this season of mm-hmm. people. Well, if I look up pain in my jaw and all I see are oral cancer posts, naturally that seed is, has been planted and down the hole we go. Quick side note. I wanted to mention about the online research I said earlier, uh, and, and here we are. Um, for those who are like me and you, you suffer from these health anxieties or medical anxieties or what have you, uh, and, and because honestly, to say that they have gone away completely, no, that, that, that's a part of me. Um, I just deal with them, I think, in a much healthier way that allows me to live and move on past any sort of uh, ridiculous fear that I have. Um, so if you're suffering with it, listen, most of the posts that you'll find from the general public on like billboards or um, not billboards, um, what do you call it? Like blog posts or, or uh, forums, right? Right. Uh, when you're looking up medical advice, they're usually based on complaints or bad side effects and doom and gloom stories. And you Why? Know, well, go ahead. No, and here's, here's what you have to remember about those. Yeah, you're, mm-hmm. What you're saying is correct. And, and so – Basically, and I, I've read things about this before, where if you have 100 people responding, the only three people that there was a negative side effect for, uh, their, their, their posts get posted. Right. And the other 97 just don't say anything because they really don't care because right. there's nothing right. wrong with them. It's exactly what I was going to say. You know, yeah. When the medication works or there's a good outcome of a diagnosis, we move on with our lives with a smile. Yeah. Nobody cares. No, nobody goes on and, and, yeah. and posts it. So Exactly. Yeah. It's, but, but when it's anything else, we have to make sure the world knows we've been wronged. Right. Either by a doctor and or a medication. Also, for whatever reason, the same people make a point to post stories about their uncle's brother's cousins whose half-brother had the same thing happen to him. Yeah. And he's dead. I mean, yeah. really? Yeah. So do yourself a favor when you're looking up anything medical online. Really, just don't. Ask your doctor and be done with it. They get paid a lot of money. I- I'm sure they would argue with me, but they get paid a lot of money <laughs> to, ma- to, you know, to, to have the answers to these difficult <laughs> questions. Uh, you know, it, 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 definitely advice that was given to me many years ago that I really wish I'd followed. I probably would have had those past two years of my life. I'd say better well spent. Of course, we still had a pandemic going on. So I don't know how much more I would have gotten done that year. But anyways, um, you know, and here is is one of our uh, one of my biggest things that I had go on for me. Um, And I'm going to have to you know, it's it's what it is. I have to step behind my pulpit here for a moment and just kind of explain. Uh, I've always said, and I will always maintain, that to be the best you goes it's your mind, body, and spirit. And so uh, we have this. I've saved that most important part uh, for last. Prayer. In its simplest mm. terms, prayer. I say simply because it's not that hard to do, but if I'm being honest, it, w- it was really what brought my fears to an end. Now, listen, there are two things I pray for to this day and until my last breath on this earth, discernment and serenity, discernment for the choices I make, that they be wise and bring about an outcome that coincides with his will, not mine, and serenity as in the very prayer used by those overcoming addictions. 
that being the ability to change what I can, accept what I can't, and mm-hmm. the wisdom to know the difference between the two. Now, you really think about what I'm saying as far as medical and anxiety. Serenity has a lot to do with it. And boy, I just cannot unhear serenity now. Uh, Mr. Costanza. <laughs> Mr. Costanza. <Yeah>, Mr. Costanza. <laughs> he, he knew. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you see. And I've said this before, and I, I make no qualms with it. I believe in God and all he has to offer me as a believer in Jesus Christ as his son and our savior. I've been learning more and more each day that passes to have faith in him and to accept the fact his plans probably look nothing like mine. Amen. They always say, if you want to make plan, if you want to make God laugh, tell me your plans. Of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. I, go right? ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Of course, being an all-knowing God as he is kind of gives him the advantage, right? Which bit. is really, really kind of awesome because he also knows what's best for me and you and isn't going to steer anyone wrong regardless, uh, you know, regardless if we get our way or not. You have to bear in mind. In the words of Bishop L. D- uh, David L. Thomas, again, I, I always talk about the man and, and I encourage everybody to look him up in his mentoring moments yeah. uh, you, on social media. Once you, what, go ahead and say what you're going to say about Bishop David L. Thomas, and then I want to throw something in sure. real quick. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, he says, without God, I cannot. Without me, he will not. And so uh, one day, a very simple prayer was met with a very simple answer. And dare I say, this is when my health anxieties and fears really started to go away. Yeah. Uh, it was in practicing everything else, but it was just this, this, um, this, this, this was basically the turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, the prayer that was the effect of, you know, can you please give me some, you know, some sort of relief from this constant worrying? And, you know, it, it was to that effect. Um, and I, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just something that pops in your mind. It's just, and it's out of the blue where you're not even thinking about it and it just clicks. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just one of those things. And and I do, I, I, it's what I prayed for. And I got this very, um, to me, it was a very personal answer. Uh, When I say it, I think some people will be like, wow, that's pretty, pretty gloomy. Um, But, but, you know, I, I really believe that God talks to each of us in a way that we're, that, that we respond best to. Okay. Yeah. And what popped in my brain was, why worry about what's eventual? Um, you know, listen, yeah. it wasn't just the, it wasn't so much the mm-hmm. anxiety of being sick. It was sick. It was cancer. ALS. It was dying. It was getting sick and being sick and, and having some tragic, sickening death. And, uh, and, and it's like, hold on. None of us are getting out of this alive. No, David Grohl said it. You, you know, if, yeah. if, if why be worried about what's eventual? It's going to happen. And, and listen, I know this sounds morbid, but folks, again, none of us are getting out of this alive. Sad and bad things happen every day. And all we can do is our best to press the pause button just a little bit longer. I found that as I move forward from all of this chaos, I move toward a life filled with the best version of me I can be. I'm glad and a little proud to say my anxiety is near nothing these days. In yeah. fact, I look for ways to offer perspective to those around me going through their own versions of anxiety attacks. Because if it weren't for my wife, Cindy, and the other half of T-Bomb, my brother here, Tony, still here. Uh, being, yeah. <laughs> being, being there for me at all, and believe me when I say all uh, – all hours of the day. It was a good thing. Tony was working uh, uh, very early mornings um, uh, for for General Motors. Yeah, uh, I think what four in the morning you were up. No, I I I would uh, I would say more closer to five, but nonetheless, 
Uh, yeah. The birds weren't I, chirping yet. Yeah, no. And, and again, yeah. I was getting minimal sleep. So God knows I was awake. Uh, you know, if, if it weren't for them to talk me down, I could only wonder how much worse I would have gotten before, if ever, I would have started to have gotten better. Well, it, so so let me say a couple things real quick. Let me interrupt sure. you. Number one. Uh, just, just one thing I want to say real quick that has nothing to do, but something to do with the show. Um, you had mentioned a Bishop David L. Thomas, uh, in our very first show. Um, and when you mentioned him, I said, he sounds intriguing. I've never heard of him. I'm I'm going to have to look this guy up. And folks, I listen to all the shows a couple of times each because I'm always looking for what can we do better? How can we approach something better? Uh, And and I'm not going to lie. I actually enjoy our show. But um, (laughs) so anyway, I'm always looking for how we can be better. And I listened to that part the one day and I said, Bishop David, wait a minute, Dave Thomas, Pastor Dave. (laughs) And it, uh, it dawned on me that the gentleman he was talking about was Pastor Dave, who I've known literally my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought to myself, when you threw Bishop David L. Thomas in there and made it sound very formal, mm-hmm. it totally threw off the, the person I called Pastor Dave my whole life is not the same guy. Uh, and, and so I just wanted to throw that in real quick. I thought, I thought, wow, you dummy. That's exactly yeah, when, what he's talking about. When you had mentioned that you were going to look him up, like, <laughs> he knows him. Then it dawned on me. I said, Bishop David. And then, like, well, Bishop yeah. definitely. And then, yeah. then, then I guess you figured I'll just let him figure it out for himself <laughs> afterwards. But um, so there's that. The second thing, you talked about um, prayer. And, uh, folks, I'm going to tell you this, okay? We talk about mind, body, and soul on this show. We do not tell you what you have to do. But that's the direction this show goes in. You're going to hear it from people we interview sometimes and how they use uh, the Lord in in the direction they go in their life. And we're all about that. You Mm -hmm. talk about that and you could talk about that all you want on our show, because I believe this. And this goes right into what you just said. The questions come in our time and you had a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. right? The answers come in God's time. And you got that answer out of the blue one day. And so, and so that is what I think the beauty of it is. And it's happened to me. And I guarantee you, there's a million people that if they listen to the show will say, wow, that's happened to me a million times. Sure. And, and so that's what I truly believe. And last but not least, before you continue, it was David Grohl. And I am one of my favorite rock bands in the world. <laughs> I've seen him live twice. Uh, the Foo Fighters, David mm-hmm. Grohl, who said, it's a shame, but have no fear. No one's getting out of here alive. Mm-hmm. And that is what I live by. It's a simple fact. It's, it's inevitable. And there's nothing we can do about it. So live the day. Live yeah. the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, could, I could even tell you in just a quick example. And I'll, I'll actually leave it for a story for you to tell, maybe uh, if it ever applies. Uh, I know for a fact, because um, uh, Tony at uh, one of our, our very near and dear aunts, um, who who had passed? There was this real quick thing that that had happened for him. He wasn't sure what he was going to say at her oh, memorial service. I'll never forget yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was pretty amazing. Um, okay, so but moving forward, you know, it, it was it was interesting because by the time I started my CBT, my therapist was shocked of how self aware I was. In three short months, I 
I guess, graduated. I don't know what you call it. Uh, <laughs> I was kicked out, um, not for anything bad. Uh, uh, so, you know, it, he just felt that I didn't need any more sessions. If, if I felt the need, I, you know, I had gotten his, his number and, and it would be a, um, you know, someone who I could always, I could always call, uh, in, in, Thinking about this, in fact, this would be a, a, a heck of a person to at some point even have on here. Um, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm sure he would talk about uh, mental well-being. Absolutely. You know, uh, even aside from from what I've shared here. So, but um, I, I'm going to say this though: aside from all of that, sleep was by far one of the largest parts um, that that one of the most important parts of this whole. Uh, you know, Process. recovery, yeah. the whole recovery. It was elusive uh, from, to you. It was elusive. Yeah. yeah. From, from, from a physical aspect, right? Mm-hmm. The lack of sleep feeds the anxiety. And as I said, I was only getting four to five hours a night, which was hardly enough for anyone's physical or mental needs. Uh, there was no mm-hmm. way I could have applied the techniques I've already <clears> mentioned <throat> without a reasonable thought or teachable mind, both of which required some solid sleep time. I, my mind just was not teachable. Um, you know, I, I'm not big on medications. I'm not. Uh, but in time, uh, uh, I was put on a prescription and, uh, it, it helps me get a good seven to eight hours of sleep every evening. Um, I don't know how I could have ever arrived where I am now if, if I, I wasn't able to get the sleep that I get now. Mm. Um, you know, in fact, if you or someone, you know, is dealing with anxiety issues, the very first two places I would, ha- I would have them check their lifestyle would one be the amounts of sugar they're consuming. And believe me, believe me, believe me, that is something we're going to talk about the way that sugar affects your brain. Um, it won't be on today's show, but, but it will be something that we do discuss. Uh, and, and, the second most important part, the amount of sleep that a person actually achieves. So, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. But there's a, there's another group of people that, that definitely need to um, need to be addressed. I'd said that this really really isn't about them. Uh, But you know what, though, if perhaps you're the one on the receiving end of this call, uh, you're talking to someone who's dealing with this stuff and, and you're a little like a little sidetracked or, or, you know, bewildered on what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting that call or that text, you just remember, you have to be patient. Um, We need to hear that it's okay, Uh, And and some reasoning behind as to why it is so. Okay, Mm -hmm. remember that whole thing I was doing where I would make myself worried and go to the doctor, be told that it's okay. Uh, We need that. And it it just gives us if for anything, five minutes of sanity. It gives us a chance to catch our breath. I mean, it really is a serious thing, um, you know, and, and always follow up with the idea of, sp- of speaking with a therapist. Look, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a therapist. I could tell you what I did and what my journey was like, like any other medical disclaimer that we put on the show. Uh, there are other things that may be at play. Always, always bring up a medical professional mm-hmm. uh, in, in this line of work. Sure. But don't be afraid. You, you, <laughs> You're not the one dealing with it. So go ahead and do the research online, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, and, and look how uh, some of the things that it, you have to deal with with someone who has anxiety. But the most important thing is, again, when your patience has been worn thin, be even more patient. OK, because that it just you're going to find yourself saying the same thing over and over and over and sound like a broken record. And you may in the back of your brain be like, what is going on with this guy? He doesn't listen. And it's like, no, it's not that he's listening actually needs to physically hear the words again uh, to give that sense of, of um, security. It, it's really, it's, it is. It, 
Well, they don't say it's crazy for <laughs> it's crazy, you know, and yeah, I can yeah. say that, yeah. uh, you know, um, but, you know, that being said, please note there's a thin line between anxiety and pouting about any given specific circumstance. Mm. In my experience, based on how well you know the person you're consoling, you'll know which one you're dealing with. Yeah. Be sure you're not enabling them by saying what they want to hear. It's far better to just shoot from the hip and tell them the truth yeah. and see how they respond to that first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. So, so well, go ahead, Tony. I, but, that's that, actually that's, that's pretty much where I left off. There. I have to clear my throat today. Jeez. Um, so, uh, let me tell you something I did when I knew that this was going to be the show that you were going to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back two years ago in our text messages because I've never erased anything. Um, I probably have our text from the time we start texting, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, since texting was invented, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and it took a while to get there. Um, and until <laughs> you explained to me that all I had to do was go into my search and uh, do that. But um, well, I uh, told him to go into a search and look up anxiety, look up. Uh, uh, and, and Joe's text came up immediately. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, and I'm not kidding you. They all just right in front of me. I was like, all wow. Joe. <laughs> yeah, so, so let folks, what he's saying, I was that guy on the other end uh, and Cindy, his wife was, she was, she was the lady on the other end of that mm-hmm. where I probably got it more in text. She probably got it more face to face. And so I remember I would wake up at, you know, four thirty, quarter to five in the morning and my phone would already have three paragraphs. And in the beginning, I was like, okay, I could, I could talk him down here. I, I could, you know, this is no big deal. But then it was started, it started happening every day, mm-hmm. every day, every day. And after about a, two months, I thought, okay, this is getting ridiculous. And so at first I started getting aggressive with it. Like, that's enough already out of you. You know, I mean, come on, dude, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You're, you're overreacting. And then the more... The more it started happening, the more I at one point texted Sydney and said, I'm very concerned about this. She was very concerned. Very. Sure. Sure. And uh, and, you know, and we didn't know how to handle this. And and so we did start doing we, we I started going down a different pathway. And so I picked out just part of the text messages that we were sending. And this 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 comes from, I believe, May of 2019. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Real quick, I wanted to tell you the, the differences sure. between the two. You were getting the text and, and you know, of course, and, and that <laughs> that was that was uh, what it was as well. With her, she was getting the the, uh, the curled up in a ball, can't breathe, crying, needed yeah. held on a bed. I mean, bad panic yeah. attacks. So, yeah. you know, for sure, she was definitely concerned. With she, what was she was taking the brunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was real. I mean, this oh, is yeah. something that is real. When people talk about this, this is not um, uh, they're weak. This is a real or, or it's a real disease. They're not necessarily looking no. for attention either. It's a real disease. And, and so let me just give you a quick I, I picked up the conversation halfway. I, this is not mm-hmm. the entire conversation by far. But at one point, you I'm, I'm telling you about relaxing and you're saying, I want to I want to get back to who I was before November. Mm-hmm. And I'm so trying because this isn't a cakewalk the constant anxiety is dreadful and then i said joe listen (laughs) i had three medications i was taking recently because of because my skin was breaking out all over especially under my arms Mm -hmm. Uh, i said now it might come back it's gone now it might come back who knows when uh, but I said, I'll be damned if I'm going to sit here wondering when. And I agree. No, it's never a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. And so you said, 
back to me, it's like my jaw. It will happen again, but I know it's nothing. So here's one, here's the thing. I start feeling normal. Then it starts like out of nowhere, stomach starts breathing shallows. And then I'm looking for a reason so I can figure it out. You were just yep. talking about that. Yep. And so I thought that was a great, that, that right there is what he was dealing with. And that conversation right there, mm-hmm. when I look back at it, uh, that's about one tenth of that particular conversation that particular day. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's no way I let it go. So, <laughs> so that was the actual text that we're going back and yeah. forth. And then I responded and then he responded and it went on for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it, it, but, but I would, try to empathize and you're i don't i don't have this situation so it's not easy i don't think it's easier for the person Mm -hmm. that is trying to be empathetic you know sympathetic towards the person's situation but you have to you have Mm -hmm. to because it's truly a serious problem yeah yeah it is and so you know i mean as i've said too and and it was funny when tony said boy that's way far back in my tax i said well you know thank god <laughs> yeah thank god it wasn't from last week uh yeah. you know and it, it really is that was the, the main crux of it if i could just figure it out then then at least it would go away um i was having it all started with a pain in my jaw and it was confirmed that everything was okay uh to the point where i had to have an mri to prove to me that i was okay um, you know, that, that's usually a clear indication that there's an issue too, when you have to start going through, uh, medical procedures or, or examinations that are not very necessary and they're all for peace of mind. Um, now you're coming out of money, money out of pocket here for unnecessary procedures. Um, well, I mean, it should be necessary, but here we are a few days after that and it's something else. That was the other thing. It was my job, but like I said, it became a habit that I had to worry about something. Um, that after my job was proven to me that everything was okay, the pain I was having in it was nothing. Uh, it started with my stomach, or maybe it was my head. I had I felt something in my neck. It was always something else. Um, so it 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 it's not something that you can just disprove and figure you're okay. A lot of the times, if it's if it's if it's bad enough, um, you know, the anxiety, you'll find something else to place it on and try to figure yeah. out. You know, I think yeah, I think in closing, what we what we need sure. to say is folks, to be the best you, you cannot be in this state of mind. This is a problem and needs to be recognized when somebody around you, if it's not you, but somebody around you is experiencing these type of symptoms and you are recognizing them, it needs to be addressed. The first thing they have to do is admit there's a problem and then they have to address it and you have to be there, not as somebody who's going to solve the problem for them, but as somebody who's going to be there for them when they need to sound, they need a sounding board. Sure. And you need to do one thing, though. You need to push them in the direction of professional help. Yeah. And, and it, oh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That's that's it. Yeah. And 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 finally, you know, we talk about be- being the best you. If this is you that we're talking about, the one who's feeling the way that I used to, the one who's dealing with the anxiety, you need to know that sometimes to be the best you, to be the best version that, of you that you can be, that sometimes you got to look elsewhere. You have to get help to do it. Don't try Definitely. to do this stuff on your own because, listen, you, you may – you probably, probably are not going to be able to do it. You have to be willing to accept help from outside sources. And that might not just be – I mean, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, we're we're providing outside help for all these other other uh, areas of, our, of people's lives. Why not this one too, mm. right? So when right. we're saying, you know, seek help, 
seek the help. It's well worth it. But yes. All right. So this this segment has gone on. And, and I, I think even though it's been a bit, a bit lengthy, it's been um, necessary. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to lose interest to a point where they'll realize, well, hey, guys, an hour's gone by. Listen, if you're looking to be the best Jew, we need to touch on everything and anything or should I say anything and everything mm-hmm. that could be hampering that situation. Sure, and and sure. we need to do it in detail or we're doing you a, a, a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to leave this go here. Um, I'm sure this will all be stuff that we talk about and refer to in, as examples in, in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, I think what we'll do here, I'm going to go ahead and put in a, a sponsorship. We're going to do a quick ad. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to we're going to come back with our sister, Rena. We're going to do an interview. I am so like be a our kid. First interview. I am like a kid in a candy store right now. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be well, it's going to be different. That's for sure. I'm sure Rita has a lot to say about all of this. um, Well, as far as her own fears and anxieties, moving out of Iowa, moving on and following her dreams into other states uh, where she's currently a news anchor in uh, the Twin Cities in Minnesota. So with that, uh, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Two Brothers, One Mike. Uh, a very um, enlightening um, thing you did there, Joe. I mean, that, I think that really, really – there's a lot of people out there that are dealing with what you talked about, and I think that was uh, a much-needed um, thing that you did as far as uh, expressing what you've been dealing with for the past two years. And uh, hopefully a lot of people out there – uh, are able now to say, you know what? It's not just me. This is happening to thousands of people, you know, if not more. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So, well, that, that that was my hopes was to bring some enlightenment and to let people know that again, they're they're not alone. Yeah. So you know, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a show and we talked about uh, my three point rule mm-hmm. when it comes to how we handle decision making processes in our life, and and we talked about integral emotion. We talked about fear. And, you know, we thought, what a great idea would it be right here to look back at that show and do an interview with somebody who has had to make these decisions early on in life. And why not? Why not? If this is two brothers, one Mike, why not? Sister, Uh, we just thought a great opportunity to bring her aboard where she can tell her story. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Rena Sargentopoulos to the show. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Hey. You How don't you... mind sharing your one mic with me today? No. no. We'll, yeah, no we're just no, passing that mic around. No, two <laughs> brothers, one mic, and a sister. It's and in, a sister. We'll put that in parentheses for today. Sounds uh, like an 80s uh, comedy show. Oh, I love you know, but you know me. I mean, I I'm, all, I'm all she about that. She had to that. say it. Yeah. She had to say 80s. <laughs> she had to point that out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so, you know, I, you know, we were talking about this and, and when we were talking about this, I said, this is a perfect opportunity right here, not only to have our first interviewee to be our sister, but also uh, it's a perfect opportunity for you to tell your story uh, on how you got involved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who do not know, Rena is a news anchor and reporter for Care 11 News, Minneapolis, St. Paul, as Joe said earlier in the segment. And she has been there since, am I right, 2005? Yeah, 15 years now. Wow. 15 years. And you've been, uh, you've been in several other places as well, from Dubuque to Madison to Milwaukee um, yep. uh, and Youngstown, for that matter. Yeah, WKBN. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, what I'm going to do 
in this in this part of the process is I, and when I'm going to interview you, I, I was I was telling Rena this off off air before, ladies and gentlemen. It's so weird interviewing the interviewer. Uh, this is what she's been doing for a while. It's got to be close to 25 years now. Better be and on I'm your game. Try- I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to <laughs> give anybody's ages away here. I'm the oldest, so you know. But um, it's very interesting, and I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. Uh, so basically, what I want to do, though, I don't want to go back to the very beginning, okay, and, and back in the 1970s when we were little. I, I don't want to talk about that as I continue. <laughs> the log to, cabin. Yeah, the log cabin, <laughs> little house on the prairie. Um, I want to go more with Rena Sargentopoulos, 1991, June, graduating from high school and beginning her college career. So when when you first began your college career at Youngstown State University, yes. When when did you realize your calling? Did that happen immediately, or when did that start? Oh goodness, no. Um, I was pre med. Do you remember that? I I was pre med the first five or six. Um, we were on quarters back then. Right, right. Uh, and some people are on semesters. Uh, yeah, no. I started out pre med and very quickly realized uh, I'm not good at math. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was one of those things where I had taken I think calculus two or three times, and I'm not used to failing classes. Yeah, it just was not something that was going to catch on for me, and uh, so. I changed my major uh, to communications and, and business. And then it wasn't until my senior year in college that I kind of finally figured out that this was what I was going to do. And it's only because as part of the major for communications, you had to take both TV and radio classes. Uh-huh. And I was super, super shy. Um, and so I took mostly radio classes, but I had to take one TV class and it was with Tom Holden. And for those of you who don't know, he was the main anchor at WKVN for, he, I don't know, 158 years, maybe. He was he was the Dan Rather of Youngstown. Of Youngstown. Yes. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And so he convinced me to try out for something at the at the TV station there, which was a show called Talk Back. And basically, they took a couple of students, three students, you try out for this thing you'd write a 60 second editorial and it would air at, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning and everyone went about their day. Uh, and I got so nervous, the thought of having to do this. And he just, he convinced me to try out. So I, I did, and I actually got one of the spots. Um, and, I, and that's kind of how I f- figured out what the newsroom was and, and how I figured out what a TV station was. Cause I didn't know anything about that before then. I, I, I do remember that because I remember the yelling from the she's on she's on and everybody <laughs> running in to to watch you on talk back and uh, the show was about a minute long um and everybody was just mesmerized <laughs> that you were on tv yeah, I, uh i used to get a kick out of just seeing our, our last name on how how will they make it fit how and it's just very <laughs> small very small fonts. very was, tiny you know, letters I, yeah that was my main thing but i could tell you Rita. i think i knew that you were going to be a reporter Years before I could have told you, I should have told you. The way I was telling on the you, the way she used to report to mom and dad. <laughs> I knew it. You no, think I don't know you. You think <laughs> I don't know where that was going? <laughs> well, I know. Well, she was an investigative reporter. No yeah, doubt. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> and folks, you could see what conversations are like when us three are together. <laughs> so that being said, we 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 understand now that part. You graduate from college. Yep. Um, you're with WKBN. And you then apply for a job with WKBN. Is that correct? 
Yeah, well, it was kind of weird because I was a producer there. Like, I, I was an intern, first of all. I got an internship there mm-hmm. because I wanted to see what it was all about. And in the middle of my internship, it was a six-month internship, and they did a newsroom reorganization, and they were, like, short a position. And so they looked at me, and they're like, you're free labor. And so <laughs> they taught me how to produce a newscast. Yeah. And so I was producing Tom Holden's newscast then, but still in college. So I would, like, during the day, I would – produce a newscast and then I'd go to college at night. Mm. And, um, and then I started to realize that the people that looked like they were having the most fun were not the people sitting in the building all day long. It was the reporters mm-hmm. and they were going out and they were meeting new people and they were learning new things. And they were, some of them were having just so much fun. And I, I remember, uh, like Trisha Perry mm-hmm. was just always told these fun stories and she looked like she was having so much fun. And, uh, Ode Aduma was, uh, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was just kind of like the, the city guy and he knew everybody in the city and he was connected to everybody. And I just wanted that. So on the weekends I would come in, and go out with the reporters and figure out what they were doing. I got you. And I put a I put a little tape together to try to become a reporter. Um, and I thought I was going to do it there at WKBN, and that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So you you apply you you try to you go for a job you don't get it at WKBN. Right. right. What what made the final decision, or what helped you make the final decision to pack up and chase your dream? Describe that feeling at that time. I mean, what was going through your head? Oh, you know, I just, I, I was super disappointed that the news director wasn't going to give me a job mm-hmm. at WKBN because my hometown. And I guess I just thought I would grow up and, and live there forever and have kids. And that's just what we, what you do, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so the idea of doing something different than that was super scary, but you know, Joe, you talked about this earlier in, in your segment, all the what ifs, right? Sure. And I think for me, the what ifs, what if I don't go try to do this? Mm-hmm. What if I what if I didn't do this and I could have succeeded? The regret was probably bigger for me and more fearful than the fear of going mm-hmm. and doing sure. it. And so I I sent out tapes, uh, VHS tapes back in the day. <laughs> yeah. To I'm not kidding. I remember every I remember in this country. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Um, canisters. Uh, <laughs> but I, I probably I sent tapes to places that I would never want to go, but I was willing to take a job anywhere that was willing to hire me. Yeah. And that was Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, listen, I, and I did, I visited you out there in Dubuque, Iowa and uh, you did. Me and Dave Hamilton. And um, yep. Uh, I thought it was a lovely little town. Uh, and I got, I got to play baseball on the field of dreams where the movie was filmed. I got to wear Ray Liotta's glove. I mean, (laughs) it was, so I had a blast out there, but I did know, I did know there was something bigger coming for you. I, I just knew that at that point in time. Um, I didn't say it, but I knew it. Uh, I didn't know what, but I knew it. So, you know, that, that being said, is it still coming, Tony? Am I, am I, am I waiting I see, for it? Yeah, I see bigger uh, every day, every day uh, oh, when I wake good. up, like a, just something just appears in front of me. But so in our podcast a few weeks ago, like I was just talking about, we talked about the three rules. And in my three rule process, uh, the third rule I talked about was the obstacle we face every day when we wake up and we look in the mirror. That's ourselves. Mm-hmm. Did you 
ever find yourself or till this day, even 20 plus years later in the career that you've been doing now for that long, do you find yourself or did you find yourself back then looking in the mirror and asking yourself or questioning yourself, is this my journey? Can I really do this? Oh, of course. Um, and I think that's something that I don't know that that ever goes away. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I've, I've told you guys before, you know, I and I still suffer with uh, really bad social anxiety. Mm-hmm. I, I just I've always felt last kick picked for the kickball team. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think that might surprise some people. Um, I'm not good at crowds. I'm not good at large groups of people. I'm fine one-on-one, but I, I get that nervous, like, what if people don't like me kind of feeling um, when it, when it comes to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, especially with what I do for a living, mm-hmm. people also forget there's not really anybody there. I mean, it's usually you and, and someone who's running a camera. And when you're in the studio, it's literally, you know, a camera, you can't see all the people. Mm-hmm. So that kind of made it a little easier for me. Um, and I, I think some people might not, you know, realize that part of it. There's, I'm not always, it's not a live audience that I, you know, uh, doing the news in front of. So that makes it a little easier for me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the one good thing and the one uh, bonus that I've had that a lot of people, you know, aren't lucky, you know, they don't, it doesn't fall in their lap the way that this fell in my lap, I guess, is, all these years later, I, I just, I still absolutely love what I do. Yes. <laughs> and that's a blessing. And I look at that and, you know, there are days that suck and yeah. there are days that are hard. And there are days where I feel like I'm working harder than other people. And then there's days where I just feel like, my goodness, I have people trust me to, to tell their story. Yeah. I mean, like what, what an honor that is that you entrust to me the most important details of your life or you're talking to me at at the worst time of your life something terrible has just happened to you and you're willing to tell those details to me or you're willing to trust me with you know the story about your business or your your kids or your you know whatever it may be I just find that to be such an honor and I've met so many fantastic people over the way that I just think all of that outweighs any of the bad or any of the doubt or any of the, the self-doubt that carry in my head on many, many days. And that's, that's good stuff. And I think when you talk about some people might be surprised, I think the people in Minneapolis, St. Paul, which is a very large market. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know where, I don't, do you know offhand where in where it ranks now in the United States? Uh, I think we're still at 15. So 15. I think we're the 15th largest market in, in the, the country. country. So you're talking about a couple hundred. Th- I mean, are we talking about a couple hundred thousand? Are we talking about that are watching you on a regular basis? Um, uh, that's hard to say just because the so TV is so fragmented these yeah. days. You know, back when back when it was three networks, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all there was, you know, that's where people got their news. But, you know, not only is there a, a million different places people can put their attention now but with social media added to it two as brothers well, one mic two brothers one mic two brothers guys, one mic that podcast is <laughs> sweeping the nation so it's hard to say yeah. but you know i mean you know we're a state of five million people and we reach most corners of the state so i you know who's watching at any time i don't know and again i try not to think about yeah yeah right. well, and so uh, that being said you know and, and you also were in radio for for some time um Mm-hmm. And so between that and the TV, I can understand where you're coming from when and I'm sure people from Minneapolis, St. Paul area and from the state of Minnesota can understand where you're coming from, where you don't have to see the people. But you've also spoken at multiple charity events. 
um, and mm-hmm. as well as other. When I went to Minneapolis during the Super Bowl, and I saw you up there, and I can't think of the gentleman's name that does the cooking show that you were up there with, um, with the blonde spiked hair. Uh, Guy Fieri. Guy yeah, Fieri. Yes. And there were all these okay. people around, and there were little girls. They were screaming your name, and one of them had a notepad, and she was teary-eyed because <laughs> she wanted your autograph. And I was, I was beside myself. I was like, "That's the that's the little girl who I accidentally hit in the mouth with a wiffle ball bat when, well, <laughs> in 1978." I mean, there's something is, there's something here we have to address right, right uh, off the rip. Now you just right. said something I didn't know. I didn't know you were next to Guy Fieri. There's so many things that are that are said god awful about this man. Is he so bad that he should be giving? Be getting so much I, negative attention that I hear Joe, I everywhere. honestly. I honestly don't even remember this. I don't remember meeting Guy Fieri, let alone being so on he stage couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were. You guys were up there. Now I don't know if you were talking or not, but you were literally side by side um, with Guy Fieri. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, this. I'm almost if it wasn't him, his stunt double was there that day because <laughs> because. Well, I have a terrible memory. And he was so cooking. Probably know and the guy was me. cooking. That's when I'm. That's why I'm like. Uh, that's him. That's Guy Fieri, but uh, and I didn't know his name. But, but anyway, that being said, <laughs> being around these larger crowds and people seeing you at these events, this may shock mm-hmm. them that you have this anxiety that you have mm-hmm. around larger cr- crowds of people because you pull it off rather well. Uh, and again, it's, it goes back to the what ifs, yeah. right? And for me, the the idea of what if I don't go and is worse than me being able to help a local charity. Mm. Uh, so my, you know, my way of giving back is, you know, I don't have a ton of money. So the way to, that I give back is with my mm-hmm. time. And so to me, that has to outweigh any fear that I have personally about being in a room full of people, right. you know, and it's, it's one of those weird things where like, you know, people think because I do what I do that I can just walk into a room and what am I going to do? Like go up to a group of people that have, you know, that are there for the night and be like, hi, I'm Marina. Will you, can I join your conversation? <laughs> yeah. Like I literally would rather crawl under a rock. Yeah. Like it's just not going to yeah. happen. I would rather stand in the corner by myself and stare at my shoes yeah. than do that. So, uh, but you just, again, overcoming that, uh, or just maybe it's compartmentalizing, yeah. you know, but I can, I can box it up and put it somewhere else in my brain to get the job done. So, uh, and I don't know if that's the healthiest well, way to take I'm, care of that, but I mean, that's just, I, Yeah, so I I think what what you're saying here, though, is when we're looking at rule three uh, from that episode that we did, um, you look in the mirror and instead of asking yourself now, you know, you or you may still do this at times. We all do this still. Uh, Everybody does this. When you ask yourself, is this me? Is this my moment? Do I deserve this? You know, you kind of look at it and say, why am I doing this? Remember why you're doing this and remember the passion you have for this. And the desire you yes. have to succeed at this, and that makes it that much, I don't want to say easier, but easier to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. I agree with all of what yeah. you just said wholeheartedly. Think, and and oh, again. Oh, that I was going to say, I think it was, it, it's just, it's the difference of uh, the healthy way of doing it and the unhealthy way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, where Rena is obviously doing it, you know, the way that, that we should be where, uh, you know, where we're considering the uh, consequences for not doing what we're supposed to be doing rather than, you know, what the uh, negative consequences might be. All right. Well, and don't forget too, that, you know, and that 
healthy or unhealthy. I don't know if that's that's fair because you know compartmentalizing can get you into trouble Certainly. too. Because sometimes you pack stuff away so far that you you don't ever mm. deal with it, and that's not always well, no, no, no. And, <laughs> a, and, and a great I, option. I was either. referring to compartmentalism. I was referring yeah. to how you would question your like what 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 oh, yes. you know yes. what impact would it have if you didn't? You you actually put other people before yourself when you're doing that. You're is very selfless, is what I'm saying. Um, whereas, well, and you know, don't forget too. Don't forget too, boys. Uh, you'll remember when I was 21, I was diagnosed with uh, juvenile rheumatoid yes. arthritis, still sure. disease, and, and was no, uh, no, and, and we're going to actually. You'll be coming back for another interview as we have that listed as something else we want to talk to you about. Oh, yeah. okay. So I mean, you, know, you could say what you, you could say what you want to say real quick, but we are definitely going to talk about that. That was something that we definitely had, uh, as you will make appearances. Uh, Often. So go ahead and say what you want to say about that. Absolutely. All, all I was going to say about it is I was very, very mm. sick, like had to drop out of college sick. They didn't know what was wrong for about a year and a half, was on all kinds yeah. of medication. Mm-hmm. And the I think that also plays into my decisions to this day into the in so much as that um, it, that's what helped give me the uh, the consideration that I when I make these decisions, like if I don't do it. Um, wouldn't that be worse than what could happen if I did? Because I was so mm-hmm. sick, I just thought there's no what's what's the point in not doing stuff, right? You know, like you have to live because there was a point where I thought maybe I wouldn't, yeah. you know. So I, I guess that just gave me gave me a different perspective. Like it took it took a little of the fear out because like what could be worse than not trying? Yeah, you know. And, and that's definitely going to be an interview we're going to have because I do remember that uh, very well. And for somebody who was watching it and not able to do anything, uh, about it was very stressful. Um, I hated that for you. And, uh, (laughs) I did, it was very hard to, I remember, I remember the symptoms. I remember the, you know, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, when we, uh, bring you back on in the near future, but that was definitely a trying time. And obviously it makes sense. There's, cha- there's, yeah, uh, yeah. I was, I'm sorry. There's, there's a charity you're that you are with, isn't it, Rena? In for uh, childhood, uh, for rheumatoid arthritis. Oh yes, I'm still very involved with the Arthritis Foundation. Um, charity is just my other passion besides what I do for sure. a living. Um, and so I, it is definitely, and it's ironically, it was really one of the first charities that I got involved with and they reached out to me, not even knowing what my background uh, was. Uh, and so I thought that was, God was sending me a message. There, there, you know, it was like, and, okay. and, and how about that folks? What we yep. just talked about in the last segment, mm-hmm. she just pointed out again. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the questions come in our time. The answers come in God's time. Uh, I truly believe that. Right. And uh, continuing on, uh, I, I want to play a little game now. Um, <laughs> and oh. I want to see if how close I come now. I'm assuming that I'm going to miss the mark somewhat because I don't get to see you all the time on the news. Uh, but complete this sentence for me. Uh, and it doesn't have to be just one. <laughs> it could be several. Uh, I think I definitely have one or two of them, right? We'll see the most rewarding moment in my career or, or rewarding moments in my career was, or were, And then I'll tell you what my thoughts are after you tell me what you think the most rewarding moments are. Oh, boy. Rewarding can mean so many different things. Uh, (laughs) Sure. um, I would say 
Oh man. I mean, exciting for me was getting to cover two Super Bowls. That was, that was exciting. Okay. Uh, getting mm-hmm. to, getting to interview mm-hmm. a sitting vice president. That was pretty cool. Oh my goodness. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, I didn't write that one down. I got to cover okay. uh, the 2000 presidential campaign, and um, that was mm-hmm. amazing, uh, as well as the 2004 presidential campaign, um, and okay. shining a light on youth homelessness uh, was something that was super important that got taken all the way to a national level, and uh, that was that to me was probably the most rewarding, if if you will. Um, and landed you an uh, award, yep, a National Edward R. Murrow Award. So that was. I have okay. that as my number one. <laughs> uh, I um, had being on two brothers, one mic with my brother. <laughs> no, but so listen, I did have that as number one. That was that was a an extremely proud moment for for everybody, and I would sure. assume for you uh, definitely. Um, any other ones you want to point out before I give you? Oh, my you give list? me yours. Okay. Uh, and this one, I, I, till this day, I don't know why <laughs> I have to pause for a second. It, it's amazing. I get emotional. I don't know what it is, but it was just an outstanding interview. When you interviewed oh. Fran Tarkenton, yeah. that was one of the best interviews. I talk about a genuine man. And, and the fact that my sister had the opportunity to sit down with him I just loved that interview. I, I talk about that all the time with people. If I run into a Minnesota fan, I tell them, guess who my sister interviewed? And they're like, what? <laughs> and, and so I just, uh, that, that to me is one of my favorite moments. So I guess it's for me. Um, Apollonia, <laughs> because I can't get out of the 80s. And I was like, she's interviewing uh, Prince, that movie changed everybody's life. I mean, our our uncle painted his moped purple. Um, <laughs> our, our friends across the street painted their room purple, and she's interviewing Apollonia, and, and so that was big. And that's there's a little that's a little bit of a. I, I'm not being sarcastic, but I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. I really did think that was cool that, that you get to do that. Um, of course, the uh, the the award that you did for the interviews that, that gain national attention on homelessness um, for children. And then, you know, one of the biggest ones I got to tell you, and this was with radio. It was, it was your brother. I think he, <laughs> he won an eighties music trivia contest against your DJ counterparts on a radio station. And I think 2014, not that I could remember trying to, to, he's trying to add a, you know, I'm just trying to add a little humor here. And I remember one of the counterparts, not being very happy about it and calling us out for cheating, which had me very upset and wanting a rematch. I thought that was a huge moment. I think Minnesota was, I, I think that was a big I moment. I don't know how in, I left uh, that out, Tony. In I radio don't know history. how I left out you winning uh, the 80s music championship uh, of the century. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that was a, literally a shining <laughs> moment in my career and the end of my radio career until now, I think. But um, uh, no. Uh, but so just a little bit of fun there, but there was uh, in another story, if I'm not mistaken to get more, a little more serious. Uh, it's so ironic that it's happening again with the shootings in Colorado, but was it not the Colorado theater shootings that you actually 
had the opportunity to interview a couple of the victims of the shootings? Yeah, so it, that was one that I, I was working here in Minnesota, but our sister station in Colorado needed help. So they flew a few of us down there um, and we mm-hmm. interviewed uh, some patients in the hospital that had been visited by <laughs> President Barack Obama at the time. He had just left and mm-hmm. and had spoken to them. So we, we uh, interviewed them as well. Uh, I just, let me just go back to the Fran Tarkington thing, because, you know, you, I love football because of you, Tony, like I, my, uh, you know, yeah. you're four years older than me. And I just, yeah, Brett, Brett was telling <laughs> me all about that. I, but grew, yeah. I, I grew Brett up, Favre. you know, watching you love football <laughs> and it made me love football. And so getting to interview Fran Tarkenton was one of those things where, you know, I, I got to fly to Atlanta. I got to, you know, go mm-hmm. to his office and, and meet with him and, and, we had the longest, most wonderful interview, and it, I ended up turning it into a half-hour special just because there was so much information there. And so that guy mm-hmm. can spin a tale like you cannot believe. And then he walked me through the yeah. office, and like he has pictures from every moment in his life, you know, his football career up on the wall. And every he would stop and he'd tell a story about each and every one of them. And that's truly one of my favorite favorite interviews of all time was getting to talk talk to yeah. him. I mean, he made me cry. It was just. It was just so wonderful. So I, I, yeah. I regret that I had forgotten to bring that up. So thank you for doing that. Well, I, I made sure <laughs> that I, I brought it up. Get you thank back you. on track here. <laughs> uh, um, you know, so folks, listen, um, what you should be getting from this right here is how well she touched on uh, in, in her own life uh, experiences, how well she touched on everything we talked about in terms of integral emotion when it comes to fear uh, and letting fear make the decision for you rather than learning how to control it when you're trying to chase something that you're extremely passionate about, that you truly feel is something you want to do, possibly for the rest of your life. You cannot let it. Fear should be used in the right ways. It, It could be used in a positive way. It should not be used to control your life. And, and so I think that this uh, was an outstanding interview where you can actually see somebody who does what Rena does and, you know, how she handled that early on and how it has not necessarily gone away. Uh, It has not necessarily gone away at all. As she's gotten older, Um, she has learned more and more how to deal with it and how to use it and, and put it in a positive way to continue on doing what she absolutely loves to do with her life. And so, Rena, I want to tell you um, uh, absolutely thank you from the bottom of my heart for the interview. And we are really looking forward to having you on the show again, uh, time and time again. I think it will be a great idea. And Joe, anything that you want to add into that or... You know what? I kind of lost what you guys started talking sports. One thing that everybody's going to know, I am not a sports guy. They said Frank Tarkenton. I'm like, who's she? I have no idea. Apollonia? Now, that's not even a sport. Gus uh, was in that's purple That's Prince's rain. girlfriend. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, I thought Prince was, okay, never mind. But the thing is, you know, I had no idea what, what, what half the stuff was. So, but, you know, it's still interesting. You know, listen, I could sit here and I understand the, the importance of team sports and I would never doubt any of that stuff. It's just, I cannot sit there for two and a half hours, three hours and watch people run back and forth with the ball and then listen to everybody in the room. Tell me what they would do. No, you wouldn't. Those people are five times your size. You wouldn't go anywhere on there. You'd be, well, you're, okay. let me tell you something. So, 
one part of your life is gone forever now. You can't get it back. You should try to like sports. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. So if we apologize, this would be a conversation yeah. <laughs> that happens off the air. But so, so I just figure, you know, listen, that that's fine. I mean, I could sit down. I know enough about it that you don't uh, score a home run in football and you don't slam dunk in, in uh, uh, trying to make it not make sense baseball. Uh, so, you know, it, but that's enough. But, you know, most of it was a good excuse for me to sit down and drink beer. <laughs> that all being said, we're going to talk about next week's show. Um, we're going to get into, I don't know if I should tell them, Tony. Uh, I feel that if we tell them, they're going to be like, I'm not listening to that one. Because it's kind of the things that that, that we decide we're not going to do anyhow. It's about warming up and cooling down for exercise. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you what. <laughs> if they're, if, listen, what we skip the most in an exercise that we're finally, I know people have been waiting for this because we've done shows about nutrition. We've mm -hmm. done shows about being the, you know, the best you shoulders up the mental sure. approach. We're going to sure. continue to do those shows. We have not done one show about exercise. And yeah. if you're going to do shows about exercise, the very first one should be about what you should be doing before and after people want to know what to do in the middle, but the reason why they quit, the reason why they get hurt, the reason why they don't pay attention to the fact they're not getting to where they need to be, to be the best you is because, they do not warm up properly. They do not cool down properly. And so they're not reaching the potential they could reach. So if you truly want to listen to this show because you're looking to be the best you, you better listen to it because, well, it's got to be the up. most, it's got to be the most important show. We're going to be the most important for, one. That's right. always. <laughs> so. All right. So listen, everyone, until then, I want to remind you, be sure to give us a review on your favorite podcast service. You'll also be able to leave a voice message. Uh, you can leave any questions, comments, or opinions. Uh, if you don't want your voice on the podcast, just make sure to leave that in the message as well. And we'll, Keep it anonymous. Uh, be sure to join us each week as we release new episodes every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. That'll be Eastern Standard Time. So on behalf of Coach Tony, our sister Rena, and myself, thanks for listening. Okay, everybody, thank you very much. Rena, thank you so much for a wonderful interview today. Uh, you guys, I just, proud sister moment here. Uh, you guys asked me to take a listen to this podcast, and I just could not be more proud of what you guys are putting out there. Uh, so I am so Aww. thrilled that you asked me to be a part of this, and I love <laughs> you both. I know it's all mushy, mushy oh, for the podcast, but I love you both, and, and thanks yeah. for having me. Love you too. All thank right. you. Love you, sis. All right, everyone, take care.